Hey, it's Fitz, and if you don't know who I am, here's a quick bio. I'm a veteran sports journalist who writes, does TV, radio, and is a longtime podcaster. Also, I have stage four prostate cancer, so during the initial stages of the COVID-19 outbreak, my doctors advised me to stay at home. But now, a little more than a year later, I'm fully vaccinated and I've rejoined society. But I'm still continuing this podcast when I'm calling the many friends, athletes, coaches, and colleagues who I've met throughout my 30 years in this industry. Plus, this year, I'm going to be calling some people and making new friends. Oh, and I'm hitting the record button. Welcome to my life and the Life of Fitz podcast. When you grow up in a town like Salina, Kansas, which is where I grew up, you know a lot of people, but you don't know everyone. This was back in the time before social media, before your paths could cross in any way other than in-person contact. Salina had three schools, three high schools, and two of them were pretty big, Central and South. And then there was the Catholic school, Sacred Heart. And for some reason, I kind of knew more kids at Sacred Heart than South. And there was a guy two years younger than me, but you knew who he was because he was a great athlete. His name was Mark Porter, and he went on to place kick at Kansas State, a really good kicker. He played four seasons, one for Coach Jim Dickey, and he got fired, three for Stamp Harris. Not your ideal college football career, but Mark Porter was a pretty damn good kicker. And as it turns out, he's a, a pretty good father, too, in the fact that he has two sons now that are walk-ons for the Kansas State football program. Of course, Seth has been with the program for a few years, and his younger son, Shane, has just arrived on campus. And what's interesting about Shane is he's a football player, but he's also pretty well known on an app called TikTok. But I wanted to talk to Mark about playing at Kansas State before Bill Snyder, being the guys before the foundation. Mark Porter and I overlapped in college, and I'm not sure if we spoke when we were in college, but I've always known who he is, and it's kind of cool to get to know him now. So now let's call Mark Porter in Pearland, Texas. Hello. Hi, Mark. How you doing, man? Hey, what's up, dude? Nothing. Nothing. Uh, I was just uh, milking every glorious minute out of a Sunday afternoon nap. Hey, there you go. That's what's nice about when we get up to the senior citizen age. We can. I know. We, we can take naps and nobody can complain. I know. Just stay. I'm, I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> Why? Because I'm old. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I need it. <laughs> so, yeah. So where exactly do you live? So I'm in Pearland. Pearland, um, that's right. In, yeah, suburb of uh, Houston. And, um, yeah, I, I, like, um, I moved down here like in 94. So, um, but yeah, we've, I've been in Pearland probably for the last 20, 20 years or so. What, what took you down there? Uh, the boy's mom, um, she actually got a job. Um, and I was coaching at Benedictine at the time and living in Atchison and, and she got a job, uh, some college textbooks and she interviewed in Albuquerque in the office. The, the manager was basically 
well, we got two positions. We can have Albuquerque or you can have Houston. And we'd never seen Houston. And she's in Albuquerque. And I said, well, what's it look like? She goes, oh, it's pretty. And then we started weighing options. She's like, I said, well, I could probably find a job easier in Houston. And then I said, they got the, you know, at that time, they had the Oilers and the Rockets and the Astros. I said, that might be fun, you know, maybe living in a big city. Right. And uh, so I go from little Atchison, in Kansas to Houston, Texas. So it was quite the, quite the culture shock for sure. Atchison is known as the Houston of Northeast Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a tight little town, man. And, uh, they got the, uh, still have Midwest green. I think the main thing. And then, you know, Benedictine, of course there, um, you know, that's kind of a staple there. And then I guess, uh, Larry Wilcox, uh, retired and he's, you know, he's, basically kept that, you know, he was head coach there forever yeah. and did, did such an amazing job and had a lot of great teams and, you know, expanded, you know, the school basically because, you know, most of those kids that go there are athletes. And uh, so it's, it's uh, always, I, I'm, that's like one of my other teams I'm always keeping an eye on, seeing how they're doing and stuff. So I still stay in touch with him and some of the guys on that staff. So, yeah, actually was a, it was a fun time. The Ravens, right? Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. I don't know it where is. my memory I pulled that out of since I've never covered <laughs> yeah. them before. Um, yeah, exactly. So did that get you out of coaching? What What did you yeah, – what do you do now in Houston? So, um, you know, I moved, we moved down here, and uh, her boss, my, you know, my, my ex's boss, she – her husband worked for a sales consultant and uh, is a sales recruiter. And he's like, have you ever sold anything before? I'm like, well, you know, not really. I've, I, I, you know, recruited a little bit, you know, for Benedictine. I guess it's a form of sales. And he's like, I can get you a job. And so he got me a job selling mechanics uniforms, like rental uniforms. And, yeah, did that, you know, for a couple of years. And then I got into pharmaceuticals. And I've kind of been in pharmaceuticals and medical sales since probably like 96, nice. somewhere in that range. So yeah, that's uh, and now I'm I'm kind of in ophthalmology. I've been in ophthalmology space for about the last twelve, fifteen years, and that's probably uh, that's where all, all I end up staying in ophthalmology. It's a pretty good segment as far as that goes. So yeah, I'm just riding it out, you know, for for a few more years. Yeah, because you're old. You're two years younger than me. Yeah. I don't want to hear about you being old. Yeah, exactly. And now yeah. you you graduated from Sacred Heart in '84. Yep, there you are. Yeah, so uh, yeah, that was uh, that was you know that was Jadlo and the basketball guys, yeah. and, and uh, you know we had some we had some pretty good teams there. We had, we had decent football, and um, but yeah, we were we could just never get past Concordia uh, my senior year, and I think I don't know if they won state, but I know every time we'd play them in sub state or whatever, they they would just always beat us because we were kind of like. We had Jadlow and then Pogue and Murray. It was like some football players and one big basketball player. Right, <laughs> so right. we, we just ran around. I just knew that I was supposed to run around and make fouls and, and, uh, and you know, use my five fouls to, to the advantage and, you know, play defense and, you know, try to stay out of Todd's way. Yeah. That's a, it was amazing era of basketball for Salina with the, the Knight brothers at South and we had, 
Kevin Muff yeah. at Central, and of course Underwood mm-hmm. was down at McPherson, right in our backyard. So it was pretty amazing. Yeah, Central Kansas. Yeah, yeah. It was it was funny how um, <clears throat> knowing knowing Kevin and you know it was a funny story. My first year at K State, uh, I'd always I went to basically every basketball game the whole time. Ahern was awesome, you know, and I, I knew him from Salina and stuff. And then um, they played that night. And then, or that may, I don't know, early afternoon or late night, whatever. Then I go out to the rack. I was just bored, kind of by myself. And I go out there, and there's Kevin Muff after a game, shooting, you know, and practicing and stuff. And uh, so that was, I always thought that was kind of cool. And then, you know, when Henson, when Henson showed up from McPherson, that was, you know, a pretty big deal. And then uh, he always tells the story of when they played Central. His, I think it's his senior year when Maurice Henry was, you know, mm-hmm. playing for Central. He played basketball, and so I was I was in town for some reason. And I went to the game, and Henson's breaking. It was at Central. Henson goes down the court and going to go to dunk, and Maurice comes in and just cuts him, and he, you know Henson falls down and jacks his wrist up, and so we were at the training table one time. And Maurice is trying to deny it, and Henson got everybody, and that was, you know, Richmond and Will Scott, and all, you know, <laughs> we were all hanging out and talking, and and Henson's like, "Ask Porter if Henry didn't cut me." <laughs> I was like, and Maurice, no, I didn't. I was like, "Sorry, Maurice, it was pretty much a cheap shot." <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. He's a football player. It was it was a legal oh, player in his yeah. mind. It, yeah, that's the perfect example of a football player playing basketball for sure. Yeah, my my dad tells a great story. He was a longtime football coach. In fact, he played college football, and um, he he got kind of forced to join the basketball team briefly because they didn't have enough guys, and he'd never ever played basketball. And the guys coming up the court and he tackled him, and the yeah. coach was like, "No, that's no, it's not, not the right sport." <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you got you want the aggressiveness, but you gotta you know kind of still. <laughs> play within the rules and stuff. How did Mark Porter, uh, who was a good athlete all around, end up being a place kicker? Yeah. So here's how it basically happened. So I moved. So I, I was born in Salina, and then I moved to California and from like third grade to eighth grade. And while I was out there, I, you know, I got into soccer and was on some, you know, I don't know what they, I guess select teams or whatever and did all that stuff. Well, then we moved back to Salina the summer before my freshman year. And, you know, I got talking to my uncles and stuff. I think I'm going out for football. And, I, don't, you know, we played pickup football and stuff in the neighborhood. So I was like, I don't even really know what position. I guess maybe a receiver and maybe they'll put me a linebacker. So that's kind of where I was. And we were getting ready, like the day before our first freshman game at Sacred Heart. And they were working on kickoff cover. And I forget who the kicker was from eighth grade that he was kicking the ball. And I was looking at it. I was like, man, that's not very far. <laughs> and so I asked the coach, I said, hey, can I, can I try to kick? And they're like, yeah, sure. And it just, you know, bombed it and, and became pretty natural. And it was funny back then. They, like, they hadn't even really seen a soccer-style kicker, you know, coming from the side. And they thought I was all weird and long-haired California you know, hippie looking dude. And, you know, you're supposed to, the kickers are supposed to have a square shoe and, and stand right behind there back then. So it was, uh, but that's what kind of got it started. And then, you know, I kind of focused on it. And then, you know, I walked on 
and figured that's all I would do. Then my retro year, that spring came around, and I had decent winter conditioning and stuff, and Jim Otto was the wide receivers coach at that time, and he's an old Sacred Heart guy. He's from Salina, and mm-hmm. he's like, hey, I want you to come play receiver this spring, and I'm like, sure. And so I went, you know, played receiver that spring, and it was, you know, guys like, Gerald, uh, you know, Gerald Alphin, you know, he was still, he was probably our, you know, top receiver. And it was fun because, it, you know, you feel like a football player again instead of just a kicker. So it was, you know, I did that. And then through the summer, then I got the kicking job. And then Coach Dickey, you know, he, I won that. And it was funny because after the Wichita State game, you know, we lost. And, um, you know, I made a field goal to, you know, in that game. And he pulled me off after the game. He said, hey, I'm still a walk-on. And he said, listen, you're my guy. Don't worry if you miss one. He goes, we're going to get you on that scholarship. I'm like, sweet, awesome. Well, then a week later, <laughs> we played Northern Iowa. And, you know, the story, you know, Larry Travis out there. And, you know, he fires Coach Dickey. And, you know, that's quite the turmoil. And then in the back of my mind, I'm like, hey, wait, he just told me he was going to put me on scholarship. <laughs> so that kind, of, that kind of went out the window. And then Paris arrived. And then I still had to. He still wanted to wait a whole spring before he put me on, so I got I got I think I got put on scholarship from '86 on. Well, if we know one thing about Stan Parrish, he could recognize talent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's uh, oh man, it's uh, it was something else. You know, I don't know if you when you talk about recognizing talent, I don't know if you've ever heard this story, and this one I like to tell a lot because this happened. This shows you how quick things happen. So the day he was introduced in the old Big Eight room, like we're all sitting in there, he walks behind, he walks in and closes the door. As he's closing the door, Tim Jackson was one of our DBs and a starter. He was in my class, and like he's literally right behind him. And Parrish looks at him and says, you sit outside, I'll deal with you later. Shuts the door, and he says, okay, that's the first thing. Meetings I want you here five minutes early feet on the floor, facing front. All right, right, cool. Well, then he basically runs Tim Jackson off. Tim goes to Coffeyville for a year, then goes to Nebraska, starts for Nebraska for two years, and then plays for the Cowboys. And I'm like, that's the first, you know, that's the first thing you did today was kick kick an NFL caliber player off the team. So, yeah. Uh, He was a mess. My dad, uh, when we moved to Salina, um, he adopted Kansas State. He was a Northwestern grad, so there was, you know, Purple Wildcats. It was easy. And, you know, we made it through from, like, Vince Gibson to Jim Dickey, and he saw some pretty good teams, some bad teams in between. And and uh, I, I think he liked Coach Dickey as a X's and O's guy. He knew he just was underfunded, and it was a tough, tough road right then. And when Stan Parrish came along in year two, Pat Fitzgerald looked at me and said, I can't I can't watch this anymore. This they're so fundamentally awful. They don't line up right. Uh, he goes, I don't know what this coach is doing and how he won a national championship at Marshall was just amazing to him. But that guy has literally won a ring at every level now. Yes. I was uh I don't know where I was at. Um it may have been a, I think it was something I was watching on Tom Brady and you know and they show him on the sidelines in Michigan 
to coach and Brady or, or no, I don't know. Anyway, somewhere. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, he, he wins the national championship in Michigan. He wins the Super Bowl at, at Tampa Bay. And then what I think odd or kind of ironic is he gets ball state going as an offensive coordinator and then they give him the head job and then immediately that they, falls apart. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it, uh, weird. It, yeah, it really was. I mean, it was, it, it just couldn't, you couldn't imagine how things went south so fast. You know, it was just like, I remember, you know, the 86 KU game and the riot and, I had no idea that that'd be the last football game we'd win while I was playing. That's so, crazy. That just, yeah, you would think by accident we could have won a couple. <laughs> um, yeah. But the Larry Travis situation is what brought us to this conversation because you hit me yeah. up and said I was I, that I brought that up on a podcast, how the athletics yeah. director was pacing in front of the locker room, so eager to fire Coach Dickey. And it was just – it was unbecoming of – of a boss to do that to an employee, put on such a spectacle in front of what crowd was there. But how, how did the team react to that? I'm sure you guys saw him up there. I mean, he was just, oh, the game's going yeah. on. There's the boss just pacing back and forth. The the weirdest thing, and I'll never forget this. So in the old locker room back then, you know, you'd go up the hill and you every kind of go in one door. And then the immediately to the right was the, the coach's locker room. And so, we go up and we're getting in and all the assistants are out in the players locker room with us while Travis has coach Dickey in there. So we're basically, we know what's, what's happening. And you're like, Oh you know, holy crap. You know, we knew we were, you know, we obviously hadn't played well. Um, that Wichita state game that's on YouTube. My son, Shane and I watched that a couple of years ago and he just kept shaking his head and I had forgotten the game. I was like, we had like six turnovers or something, you know, like, but the next day we go in the big eight room and I'm sitting next to Bob Besser, who was one of our offensive linemen. He was a couple years older than me. And I'll never forget this. I mean, it hit home. It was like, he, coach Dickey says, you know, I'm gone, blah, blah, blah. And then he, he, coach Dickey's like, I want you guys to know, I love you guys. I love y'all. And then he left. And then Bobby leans over to me. He goes, we just got that man fired. And it's like, you know, you're 19, 20 year, you know, 19, 22 year old kids. And it's like, you know, then, you, you know, it doesn't really hit home. And then the, as you later in life, I sit there and think about it like, God, dang, we, you know, it's not just Coach Dickey, but it was all those assistants, you know, everything else and, and starting over. And then um, I went to, I went to his funeral here in Houston uh, a couple of years ago. And um, that was, uh, you know, I knew Daryl Ray. He's, he's an OC at um, A&M. And so we, I go to the viewing, and the night of the viewing, I mean, there was a lot of, you know, big name coaches there paying their respects to Coach Dickey. Uh, Francione was there. Um, you know, Phil Bennett came back. Um, uh, you know, tons of guys, former players. Jim Bob was there. Uh, Steve Willis, a lot of those guys. Of course, Del Rey. And um, you know, it was just a neat deal that even though. Didn't win a lot of games. He he has a lot of respect, you know, in the coaching community. Uh, community. And um, I just, you know, I would like to see him, you know, him 
it would have been nice to at least let him finish out the year at, at, at least that, you know. Yeah, I agree. And uh, it's not like firing him midseason was going to make any big changes. He just I, – no. looking back, I almost feel like he wanted his buddy Lee Moon to get a chance to coach. <laughs> That's – honestly, if I fire him at the end yeah. of the season, you don't get a, a chance yeah. to be listed as a head coach in the media guide. Yeah, and that – it was almost like they, you know – and then it was that that situation, you know, it was just like, and and I can, you know, we're like, even the next week, like Lee's like, okay, we're doing everything different, you know? And, and he's like, so he even had us, instead of coming down the ramp like we normally did, he had us walk through the backside of the business locker room, like basically cut through Shorty's room in the equipment room and come down the visitor's side just to change up, you know, karma or whatever. And then uh, we actually had a chance to win that game. It was TCU game. We um, we recovered an onside kick and had a chance to, to maybe kick a field goal, but we we went backwards instead of uh, instead of trying down to score. But, um, yeah, I mean, that 85 team, I, offensively we struggled. And, you know, we changed coordinators and weren't sure what we were going to do. But, I mean, defensively, you know, we had some players – and um, you know Barton Hunley and, and those guys. So you know, I mean, there's no way we you know, should have been one of ten. Um, even even through all the all the way through '88, it was like you know we at least should have won a couple games. You know, there were so many you know here or there we should have lost. And then of course the big ones we would you know lose bad. So you know that was it was just such a um, culture thing that. You know, Coach Snyder had to it was overcome. Unbelievable. Uh, I want to know your opinion on this because I've had people say this just out of curiosity. If Jim Dickey had received the financial uh, and facility support that Bill Snyder enjoyed, you know, four years later or whatever it was, do you think he would have been more successful and how much more successful? Yeah, I mean, I think he would have been. Um, I, I don't think he could have, you know, obviously, you know, got to, you know, Coach Schneider's level. But, I mean, you think about it. So, he gets them he gets them moving around, you know, gets them to the bowl game in 82. Then that 83 class, recruiting class, that was a good class. I mean, there was some dudes. And so, we were kind of, you know, it was kind of getting, you know, and I think all he got was that the wall outside the var- <laughs> the, the parking lot. Um, so I, I think, we, you know, we could have been maybe a little more, you know, competitive. Um, but it just, you know, it just got down to, you know, that, you know, the facilities were bad. You know, it's it t- it always tough to recruit. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, as good as anybody, when all this started with Coach Knight, we were – all we wanted to do was be halfway competitive, you know, win five games and then maybe go to a bowl game every few years. And then you look at it and 10 years later, you know, he has the best team, you know, we ever fielded and could, you know, could have won a national championship. I have a strange thing though. I'm almost thankful for all the program went through, including bottoming out with Stan Parrish, because I think rock bottom had to be reached so that this institution can make up its mind. Are you going to do this or not? Because if this is how you're going to fund an attempt to be competitive in football, you might as well join the Missouri Valley and just quit football. But if you're going to try to be in the big eight, eventually big 12, 
you got to be more competitive and you got to get more serious about it. And fortunately, that's the decision they made. And, and it worked better than anyone could have ever imagined. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's, you, you sit back and you, you think about that and it's, and I know, you know, coach was, you know, that he wanted that money and he's willing to, you know, spend some of his own. And you, you see the, the interviews with Steve Miller and he's like, we can't do that. And like, well, it had to be done, you know? And then if, I think, I think every K-State fan, if you haven't, you know, needs to watch that documentary, you know, about the foundation and all that kind of stuff. And to see, you know, how it did hit rock bottom and those guys, you know, they were, you know, Smitty and Frank and, you know, those guys, they were the foundation. I joked that we were the hole under the foundation. <laughs> you know? so that's kind of, kind of where we, that's, that's where we put our input, input on it. That's, I mean, there's a lot of truth to that. To have a foundation, yeah. you got to dig a hole. And Stan did a yeah. good job digging a hole for the university in football. 30 games, yeah. winless streak, um, but you had the tie. Oh, God. Yeah. The, the worst tie ever experienced. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's so funny. It's like, okay, like this could be a 30-plus-year therapy session, you know, kind of deal. Uh-huh. It being a part of that. And it was, I was just talking – uh, one of the boys earlier, I says, I go, yeah, my grandma was so excited because I, I, my name was in Sports Illustrated for that <laughs> that week. And I was like, he's like, oh, that's so cool. You're in Sports Illustrated. I'm like, well, thanks, grandma. But I'm really not, didn't want to be in there for that, you know, the toilet bowl and missing all the field goals and getting the field goal block. And, you know, but hey, it, you know, it was, uh, it definitely was, it wasn't going to get any lower than that for sure. Yeah, I was, I was uh, working at the newspaper in St. Joe, Missouri, listening to it on the radio because I was on the working desk, and I'm like, "This is just, this is it. This is what K State and KU football is. This is a perfect summation of how bad the programs have gotten." Yeah, it. You know, it. I still kick myself. You know, to have. You know, I had a decent career. But I just '87 was not you know very good and i just i just haven't had my worst game on the most important game and you know i I look back and i remember the next day everybody's trying to hey it's okay porter and brad lambert gives a big speech and you know we all wanted you know we wanted to win and all this kind of stuff and it's just like you know you see you i'm still disappointed when i see those guys you know and it's like god we you know we tried and you know, I missed one in the third quarter. That's the one that always it had the wind behind me. It was a little chip shot, so never should have missed. Never should have missed that one. But if you look back in the game, there were so many things that happened. Both sides, both teams. You know, fumbles here, interceptions, missed field goals, everything. And uh, yeah, we covered the full gamut. So, <laughs> well, I'm glad I could bring up that memory for you. That was yeah. that was nice of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you can make the, the copay on my therapy session tomorrow. <laughs> Hey, it's Fitz. Let's hit the pause button right here and take a little break. Well, let's turn our attention to your boys. Um, Of course, Seth has been in the program for a few years now, and now uh, Shane is falling his way in. It's got to be pretty cool, Dad. Pretty cool. Yeah, you know, it really has because, you know, they they grew up, you know, dreaming to be Wildcats, and, you know, this is where they wanted to be, you know, and it wasn't, 
you know, it wasn't easy, you know, for them. I mean, they, they, they definitely earned their, their stuff. And it was like, it was like little, you know, small steps. We'd go to camps while they were still in high school. And, you know, that's what caught people's eye, you know, and they, you know, cause they were, they're fast and they can make plays. And, you know, I think playing the Texas high school football, you know, at that level, I think that's what really helped them, you know, in the transition. And so that's one of the things that's, you know, um, I think made it more comfortable for them. And, and now they know they just got to, you know, keep putting in the work and, you know, hoping things, you know, keep, keep moving forward, you know, for, for their careers. Seth's getting there. I mean, he's gotten some playing time. He had some return time. Um, is he still considered a walk-on, or has he been put on scholarship yet? No, he's still a walk-on. Um, yeah, he's he's kind of right there in the mix. Um, it gets you know it, it gets into a numbers game kind of thing, you know. So it's like, and it kind of worked that way for Shane too, because they were you know Brat was trying to get him in, and then you know. Colin Klein was trying to explain to me, you know, uh, that's why Shane took the gray shirt. And then, you know, they're like, just so close to getting put on. And, you know, if the numbers will work and stuff, but it's like, you know, it's their program. They got, they got to do what's best in program. If it, you know, it works out, it works out. But I mean, Seth's going to, he's going to be out there busting it, whether he's on scholarship or he's not, you know, he's going to, he's kind of one of the team leaders. He's on the leadership council, um, you know, really proud of what he's done as much off the field as what he's done on the field. And, you know, he's blocked some punts and he's out there on the special teams and doing his thing. And, you know, hopefully one of these days he'll get the ball with a little space and not get his head ripped off, you know, like <laughs> the Oklahoma State game. So we, he was actually showing that to some friends last night. They, and that was, they were kind of freaked out by that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh they hit hard at this level. They they hit very hard. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and he's not go the ahead. biggest guy. <laughs> yeah, he's not the biggest guy. How big is he technically? So, I think he's he's 5 eight and a half probably in that range. And he's he fluctuates, you know, between like 165, 172. He's one of the kids that like he has a really hard time putting on weight or maintaining it. Like he's, if he takes a couple of weeks off lifting or it takes any time off lifting because he's hurt or whatever, you know, he'll lose four or five pounds. So he's one of the, he's definitely has to be in the weight room and, you know, doing, keeping that to get it, get a size up. But it's, you know, it's to the point where the fact he can run, you know, he's pretty quick and, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to go to from 170 to, you know, 190 and you lose some of your speed. So it's just like, you know, just get out there and, you know, do your, do your thing and hopefully stay, stay healthy. And, you know, he, he was trying to put a little more weight on, but it's just, it's about strength and getting out there and making plays. You know, that's been my issue too. I really can't keep the weight <laughs> on. So you just, yeah, yeah. You didn't want to lose your speed. No, no, no. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. who, who knew I was going to grow into an offensive lineman. So, uh, and I even yes. have the bad knees to go with it. So there you go. So yeah, that's why you should have you should have transferred to Sacred Heart. You could have could have been one of our power forwards. You know, that's funny you mentioned that because my <laughs> sophomore year, I actually thought about it. Yeah, um, because of basketball, I loved playing basketball, but. Um, uh, I'm now friends with him, but Denny Walgren and I didn't see eye to eye. I didn't like his style, and and there was just a ton of talent too. So it was mm-hmm. 
but I love to play. So yeah, yeah. we uh, we had a badass YMCA team, Matt McMillan and some guys like that. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I we had such a we played a team from South that was the same way. And I'm like looking back, I'm like there was a lot of talent not playing at the high schools back then because the teams yeah. were so good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was, I mean, we played Central my senior year in um, in the bicentennial tournament. And uh, we, I think we ended up winning, but it was, you know, it was a pretty tight game. And uh, so that was, you know, kind of fun to do and, and, you know, play those guys, even though we were the, the smaller school or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, that whole, I mean, South had Tony Harvey and Chuck Eanes and Central had, you know, Maurice and those guys. So we've always joked, they, you know, Salina could be a little more of a, potential powerhouse if they just had one high school like they did back in the day. Yeah. Yep. It would have been, been interesting. Yeah. It was that 82 team at central was so good. And then everyone leaves and they've got a rebuilding year and they win the state championship with a losing record the yeah. next year. Just yeah. Bizarre. That was, I remember that. I was like, wow, they just got on that hot streak there at the end. And, and the, yeah, well you get, I think Todd Ryan was on that team. Yep. He could, he could, he could shoot it. He, he could put it up pretty good. My my guy Tyrone Clancy was on that team. Yeah, that was that. They, so, they were scrappy. Yeah. So Tyrone and I, we played uh, a six foot and under uh, in uh, at at Manhattan at K State. Uh huh. We put yeah, and we had we had a pretty good little squad there, intramurals, and uh, so yeah, he there was there was some good some good good guys playing then. So what's it like to be the parent of a TikTok star? Because if folks don't know, <laughs> Shane has about a million followers on TikTok. And how did he get there? And did you understand what was happening when he was building that following? So it's kind of hilarious because my stepdaughter, she was the first one to bring it on about, oh, yes, Shane does this thing on TikTok. And this was when he was still in high school. And I'm like, what the hell is TikTok, you know? And so I don't, I've never even seen one of his videos. I didn't know anything. And then his senior year of basketball, so he'd, you know, they'd be playing rival schools, and he'd come to the free throw line, and they'd start chanting, stick to TikTok, kind of mocking him. And and then, of course, he, you know, if he made the basket, he's taunting back. He, he, that kind of stuff fired him up. He turns into... I was like, just go play, you know, but he, he'd get fired up when they start talking and stuff. And I just started watching some of the videos, maybe, I don't know, four or five months ago, I guess. And I still don't get it. I mean, he's good. Looking, <laughs> he's, he's a good looking kid. And, you know, he just does goofy stuff. And, I mean, I, he just, I was him this morning, I was joking about shaving and I was like, it's about time for you to shave. You know, you can put that on TikTok if he, if he laughs because he'll basically show himself shaving. And then he's got, you know, a couple hundred girls you know, talking about how much, how good looking he is and they want to marry him and all this kind of stuff. So it's like, it, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, he's, he's taking full advantage of it. We'll see this name image likeness thing could get interesting for him to be, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, it. We've talked about that a lot on the podcast. I'm sure you've heard it. That mm-hmm. it's a yeah, kid like yeah. that that actually it's going to impact more than at Kansas State, more than us. Maybe Deuce Vaughn will have opportunities because yeah. he's going to be such a big star. But yeah, just these kids that have built their own social media have 
a great deal of leverage. And you also brought it up that uh, you have a new endeavor you're dabbling with. You can talk about that if you want and how Shane's, um, it kind of crosses over with possible leveraging of his social media weight. It's kind of cool. Yeah. So uh, Andre Coleman is, uh, you know, he's coaching at UT now. He, of course, you know, he's K-State legend and he coached Seth, Seth his first year. He's developed this device called the Catch Buddy, and it's pretty cool. It's basically like a, a football on a kind of like on a bungee cord, but it comes back to you, and you're able to work out by yourself. And so the premise behind it is, you know, even at the college level, there's only you know you don't got a, you know you got like maybe one or two jugs machine. If you've got 15 receivers or 15 DBs that need to catch passes after practice, you know it takes a lot of time. And he, when he was with the Chargers, they had something similar to this, and that's how they start the receivers would warm up. You know, they boom, they go out catch quick fifty balls, and so he's gotten this in development. Frank Hernandez is uh, involved, and then Smitty, he's involved, and Tyler and Brian Pringle, and you know, a lot of K State receivers are getting involved with it, and so of course, you know, they're wanting to kind of. Get Shane's deal because Shane's put together a couple uh, called like trust challenge deals. He did one in high school that went pretty viral where they're basically catching the ball right before it hits their buddy's face. Well, then he did one in the K State locker room and that has got quite a few views. So they're trying to figure out okay, how do we kind of incorporate maybe that with the catch buddy and all this kind of stuff? So we're just kind of brainstorming right now. Um, and we'll see, you know, it could be. It could turn into something. If not, we, you know, we're having fun, you know, dabbling with it, and and it's fun just to get around, sitting around, getting telling stories and making fun of each other. So that's good too. Yeah, it, it's a really cool concept, and I hope it really takes off. And uh, I just want to point out, after watching the trust challenge video, um, mm-hmm. there's no one in my life that I trust that much. No, no one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like poor Deuce. I think he's. Have you seen it? Shane's down knee high with his hand right next to Deuce's, you know, nether region. <laughs> and, you know, he catches it a few inches before, it, you know, hits him there. And Deuce, he, Deuce hardly even flinches except till he catches. He's like, whoo, you know, that, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, they're, they're having, they're having fun with it. Um, the kids in the locker room, they all, they, they seem to be getting along. And then, you know, he does, Shane does all these, you know, locker room tours and all this kind of stuff that you know people like to see so you know if it if it's only getting exposure to a bunch of young girls that you know may not have as much influence but at least uh, you know there's comments on there like oh i guess i'm gonna be a k-state fan now and all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff so it's a uh, yeah this generational they're way smarter than, than we were so oh, thankfully it's... they didn't have any of this stuff because they would have caught me down at the dark horse doing something, you know, I shouldn't have been doing, you know, back, back then. Oh, man, I miss the dark horse. That was such uh, a great so, bar. Yeah, I, I mean, so I, quote, worked there, and uh, it was just it was just so much fun. You know, we had so many good times in there, and we transitioned from a beer bar to a liquor bar. And during that transition phase, that was not a good because you know you get used to sitting around drinking three two beer everything's good and all of a sudden you're trying to invent shots and doing all this crazy stuff so it was like yeah the the hangovers were a little worse you know we went to that so but yeah that uh those those aggie days you know and 
it's fun. I know you, I know you, you know, Rob good and, mm-hmm. and how he you know, hangs out, got his things going and so long and just to see how things have transitioned. And well, I was up for both the spring game and walking around and trying to say, yes, this, can you believe this whole street was full of people in 1984 and 1986 and setting cars on fire and having riots and stuff. So yeah, good times back then. But one good time, two good times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I, I missed the '86 riot. I think at the '84 riot, I had had a particularly um, accomplished night at Bushwhackers with mm-hmm. uh, one of my fraternity brothers, the bartender, and I lived on Vatier. So I woke up the next day and I had left at closing time and walked through a riot and made it home. And they had to tell me about the riot because I didn't know about it. Didn't even pay attention. Yeah. So that's, just... that's the <laughs> type of advanced studies I was involved in that night. But Man. How, how do you it... miss a riot? <clears throat> that's, you know, you must have missed the tear gas and stuff. I mean, I was so I was registered in that year and and so Friday night it was even crazy on Friday night and I remember God, one of our you know backup quarterbacks I don't know something happened where you know big fight broke out and he he's like kind of in the middle of it and somehow he's like this massive people and then he see him just kind of crawling out and we grab him like let's get out of here you know so we don't don't get in trouble. Now everybody had it on a cell phone, and you, there was no no escaping that. So we'd have been, yeah, we I'd, the cell phones would have been dangerous back then. Oh my, just yeah. social media. I I don't know how kids handle it. I mean, they just grow up so fast now, and and uh, I mean, I, I just heard about an American Idol kid basically got removed from the show from something he had social media f- from when he was twelve. Yeah. What? I mean, I didn't know yeah. what I was doing when I was 12. I, I'm glad I wasn't, I'm not hold, held accountable for the sixth, seventh grade version of myself. It's just, yeah. Uh, it's going to haunt yeah, a lot of kids. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like I try to, you know, t- tell, you know, all my kids, you know, I have two, two stepdaughters and I have the boys. And um, it's like, listen, you know, you, you, may have posted something your junior year in high school and now all of a sudden you're in a job interview and that comes back to, to bite you because that's like all these companies that's one of the first things they do and you look you know it looks your resume but they also look at your social media presence and you may have made a mistake a long time ago come back to bite you yes indeed in fact i just saw something on tiktok a, a guy who does that for fortune 100 companies and you know, he said, you can delete all you want. It's still there. And, and yeah. we have ways to define all of that. And he told a story about a highly qualified individual that made it all the way up to the offer phase of the job. And they found something on social media that had been erased and was had gone viral years ago. And, and it was inappropriate. And she didn't get the job. I'm like, wow. I mean, yeah. that's just yeah. crazy because you can't find it anymore unless you're a professional. Right, and they still still held her accountable for it. And like yeah. the guy said, she never knew. That's why she didn't get the job. That's why she didn't get the job. Wow, crazy, crazy. Yeah. Well, uh, from what little I've seen, uh, your son has a very wholesome TikTok. So uh, far, yeah, yeah so, so far, sticks, right? Um, sticks to shaving and catching footballs before it hits guys in the face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and if there's a giant spike in the female enrollment over the next couple of years, we'll call it the Porter effect. 
Yeah, there you go. That'd be yeah. We get more coeds and purple. That'll, that'll help recruiting. That'll right. do everything. It, it <laughs> all it all feeds off of one another. Yeah. Uh, what as as a football player and a dad? What are your thoughts on the upcoming season? So I'm pretty pretty excited about it. I mean, you know, being a K State guy, I've always you know that little bit of oh god, what you know, what could go, what could go wrong, what could go right. I mean, last year, I mean, I think if we could have pulled out, you know, the Baylor and Oklahoma State game, those those two, you know, really kind of kind of hurt. But you know, he's coaches, you know, creating the you know change of culture or you know trying to create basically his culture. Coach Snyder, of course, had you know his culture and that kind of thing. There was you know a lot of some things happened, and you know it's like he's trying to get his guys in. The one thing I have heard is. You know, the success they had at North Dakota State, a lot of it was player-initiated. You know, kind of the players kind of controlled themselves, and they were pretty good about that. And I think that's what he's trying to create is, you know, you hold your teammates accountable. You know, we're all in this together, and let's, you know, do things the right way. So I think from a culture standpoint, it's, you know, it should be better. I mean, and then how do you explain COVID? I mean, that's (laughs) – you know, that between, between those two things, I think really, and injuries, I mean, all these kind of things played into, you know, how things kind of spiraled there at the end. But, I mean, you got all the O-lines coming back. The tight end room is going to be really good. Uh, that's something that I don't, you know, a lot of people may not talk about, but they've, they've got some dudes there. And then, you know, you got Deuce, running backs good, and receivers, you know, they're hopefully they'll, you know, they get a lot of scrutiny. <laughs> and, uh, but I mean, they they got playmakers. You just get them in space, and, you know, open things up a little bit, and they should be good. And then, you know, defense will, you know, hopefully, the, you know, we. I think if we can just stay healthy, we got got some dudes in the secondary, and we'll we'll see what happens. So, I mean, they're going to play hard. You know, we've we've always done that, um, and we're going to pull you know pull some games out, and let's just you know let's see, and hopefully get things get things moving in the right direction, get a bowl game, and. Hopefully, you know, have a have a good season. And of course, we all start in Arlington, so I'll get to maybe have a beer with you down there. Yes, I will definitely be there. That's going to be nice. So, with last time I was in Arlington Stadium, my uh, stepdaughter was a cheerleader for Pearland High School, and they were in the state championship game against Allen, Texas, and Kyler Murray was the quarterback. So, wow. uh, yeah, and I, yeah, and I have a feeling. They may have drawn a bigger crowd than the K State Stanford will, because I think there was close to sixty thousand people for that high school game in Cowboy Stadium. So I don't know what kind of. I mean, at least we know it's going to be majority purple. That's for sure. That's crazy. I don't, I don't think I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of cardinal red there in that opener. So let's hope we get off to a quick start and you know get things rolling. My experience in going out there, they don't really care about football. It, it's not. <laughs> It's not important to them. It's not part of the culture. They're good at it, but it's not part of the culture. My God, I swear. So, you know, Eric Harper and these guys from Texas that, you know, I played with, of course, you know, they talk their junk and talk their junk. And we're kind of, you know, we're Kansas guys. And like, it can't be that much different. It can't be that much different. And so I told the story. So I, when I first moved down here, high school football season was starting. I was living kind of near NASA. So it was kind of not too far from Galveston. And the Houston Chronicle had the game of the week was going to be Galveston Ball versus Lamarck. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll go. I'll go watch the game. So I drive down to Galveston and I walk up the stadium and I'm like, yeah, can I have a ticket to the game? And they're like, oh no, sir, sorry, we're we're sold out. I was like, 
what do you mean sold out? It's the high school football game sold out. And like, oh yeah, there's 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 no seats at all. And I'm wearing a K State deal, so I got created. I'm like, well, I'm kind of here, you know, scouting for Kansas State, you know. And they're like, oh, well, come on in, you know. So <laughs> at least I got to see the game. So yeah, the the it's it's a religion down here. Friday nights are it's really fun, and um, you know, I, we saw some some great high school football, and it's just it's ironic how many different levels. Like Seth's teams at Clear Springs were really, really good. They won the district. I think uh, his junior and senior year, his junior year, he's you know he they switched him to DB. He, so he actually played defensive back his junior and senior year of high school. And I think his junior year, that secondary, all four of those guys went to Division One. I. I think one went to Arizona State, one went to Stephen F, uh, one went to Louisiana Lafayette, and Seth was at K State. And they got beat. I think in the first round of playoffs. <laughs> so it's wow. like you got you got four D one, you know, secondary guys and you can't get out of the first first round. So and then do you get start playing these teams like North Shore and Allen and Duncanville and it's just it's bizarre. It's crazy. Well yeah. let me end this with uh one final story. So uh my good high school buddy David Lowry came to Manhattan the other day, he's dropping his daughter off or they were she's gonna be a freshman next year and she was gonna be on the rowing team. Now you remember David, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he tells me you stole his high school girlfriend. Oh, and, and Which he, one? He's. I'm not sure. He's he's still bitter, man. I'm like David, oh, that's like okay. that's like 37. How many years ago is this? And you're still bitter. And he goes, man, I loved her. And he was a sophomore, and she was a senior. So. Oh. <laughs> well, okay. He can have some justification because obviously it must have it didn't last very long because I never really had like a serious girlfriend all through high school. So she probably within a few months realized, Oh, I made a mistake. I I need to go run back to David. (laughs) No, I, what I like about this story is uh, you broke him up and then you said, "Eh, I don't need you. I like that. That's the version I'm going to tell him. Is that, no, no, (laughs) I promise you, she was the one that got rid of me. So <laughs> she, she was wise beyond her years, for sure. <laughs> Barter, thank you very much. I uh, enjoyed it. I'm glad I'm back to doing these because these are fun to catch up with yeah. people and, and hear some great old-time stories. Uh, I, yeah. I tried to not make you talk about the Stan Parrish era uh, or error very much. For yeah, you. well, you know, it was it was, it was what it was. You know, um, you know I wish, wish I you know, could have made one more kick and maybe we'd beat KU in 87 and we would have went one in 10 instead of, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, I do want to tell you, I'm, I'm, I really appreciate what you do, you know, because you're, you're one of the few guys out there that still remembers that there was football before 1989 at mm-hmm. K-State. And I, I appreciate your efforts on that. And I'm glad, you know, your health is, uh, you know, hopefully is on the upswing and you're battled hard through a, a real tough situation. So we've all been praying for you through all that. And, you know, we, uh, it's just nice to have some old guys that are, you know, remember some of the good old yeah. days, yeah. so to speak. I do. I do. As a freshman with that 82 team that went to the bowl game i opted not to go on the bus full of fraternity drunkards and i mm-hmm. i think that was a good move i think it was a oh. solid move i'm gonna throw this out to you yeah. and i need need to talk to shorty so i think is it 
what anniversary would it be in 2022? 40th, I guess, or whatever. Yeah. That we the the uh, throwback uniforms. They should do the 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 KU game where they came out in the the gray jerseys and and to match the helmets. You know, right. I think that I, that's a cool story because the story I heard is you know they came out and they warmed mm-hmm. up. They came back in the locker room and the new jerseys are right there, um, waiting. And they changed them out. Well, the way the uniforms fit nowadays, they, they won't be able to do that. But I think that could be a, a cool little deal that maybe put some. If you're going to do some alternate uniforms, maybe give that team some respect and and uh, do something like match those uniforms. I think you just gave me a great idea for daily delivery. There you go. Cool. <laughs> glad, I can do, glad I can do something for you. Thank you, partner. Great to talk to you. You bet. Appreciate all you do. Take care. Bye. My favorite thing here was hearing Mark Porter try to define his son's popularity on an app that he doesn't have and doesn't understand. And honestly, TikTok is a much different app than what I thought it was. I mean, it it started off as a kind of a dancing app and really for young, young people. And now it's morphed into something much bigger and it's spread out quite a bit. But having a million followers on any social media is rather remarkable and that's pretty cool. But their pops is pretty cool, too. He was a heck of a kicker and it was really good catching up with him. And we will continue to do these podcasts throughout the spring here and summer as we find people from my life, maybe some new people to talk to in the Life of Fitz podcast. And remember, fellas, if you are 45 or older, ask your doctor to have your PSA scored. And if he says no, say please do. Get a baseline score. Tell him you want a baseline score. Then if you ever have an issue with your prostate-specific antigen score, you will know exactly what it means because you have a baseline score. It's the best way for early detection of prostate cancer. And my PSA score rising so quickly caught the attention of my doctors and probably saved my life. I appreciate you listening to another edition of my podcast, and I'll talk to you real soon.